This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Hello, lovelies, and welcome back to another episode of Two Girls, One Ship, the podcast where we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. I'm Genesis, the girl who will never stop being shocked at all the download numbers. Yeah, we're like 4,000 or more now. Mm-hmm. We're Crazy. over 4,000. It's so cool. And I'm Bravada, the girl who will never stop being shocked that we found each other from opposite sides of the country over our mutual love of Garrus, and now have this pod baby together. Aww. And as always, we get up close and personal, which each of our character breakdowns. So if you're looking for a spoiler-free zone, sorry, lovelies, you are in the wrong place. So here's your fucking spoiler alert. Thanks, N7, for the spoiler alert. Okay, so today's episode is a bit different than normal, as we are going to be talking about two characters today instead of just one. The Asari Justicar Samara and her Ardat Yakshi daughter, Morinth, from Mass Effect 2. We're going to start with Samara, so let's get into it. I sometimes miss my younger days. <laughs> centuries and centuries of carefree sex. That is not what I and now we know something about Samara we didn't know a minute ago centuries huh well that's something i can get behind for sure samara is a badass biotic asari and is a member of the ancient monastic order called the justicars that follow a strict honor code she's highly skilled in many weapons but typically chooses hand-to-hand combat with her biotics over everything else she is old even for an asari who at this age are typically in their matriarch phase of life but unlike many Asari matriarchs, she does not pursue a life of leadership and politicizing. Instead, she travels the Milky Way seeking to uphold justice through her many martial talents. The Asari Justicar Code and Way of Life was commonplace thousands of years ago, but that's not the case in 2185. Now, they mainly keep to Asari space to avoid major diplomatic incidents, as their strict black-and-white morality is at odds, to say the least, with contemporary law enforcement and their shades of gray galaxy. In fact, an Asari following the code is rather uncommon, especially to the degree that Samara does. Samara's youth, or maiden phase of life, was marked by adventure and excitement. She actually found out her natural talent for violence while she ran with a mercenary gang. Samara left her mercenary career after fighting the Collectors back in the day, and helping some captives escape from slavery. Eventually, she settled down with an Asari mate and had three daughters, Philaire, Rila, and Marala, later called Morinth. As they aged, it became obvious that all three of them had inherited the Ardok Yakshi trait. Ardok Yakshi causes the mate of an afflicted Asari to die during sex every time. Samara has explained that she herself is a pure-blood Asari, which results in an increased probability of giving birth to Ardok Yakshi daughters. 
Philaire and Rila, the younger siblings, chose to live their lives in isolation and comfort at the monastery created to hide these Asari away from society. But Morinth chose a life on the run over a celibate life in seclusion. Samara actually joined the Justicar Order and swore her life to the Code in pursuit of her daughter Morinth. Samara hunted Morinth for years and years, getting close occasionally, but never capturing her. At one time, Samara had discovered Morinth had perverted an entire village, making them worship her and bringing her young Asari as sacrifices. Oh my gosh. Morinth managed to escape by sacrificing the village to Samara in order to buy time to flee. The years turned to decades, the decades to centuries. And when Shepard and company meet Samara and Ilium, seeking her aid to fight the Collectors, Samara has been hunting her daughter for 400 years. We first meet Samara doing what she does best, dispensing her extreme version of justice. She is closer to capturing and killing her daughter than she has been in centuries, and nothing will stand in her way. One of Samara's tropes is called the implacable man. In this case, implacable Asari. And this trope is used to describe a foe who will never give up. They will chase you to the ends of the earth, or galaxy, and will end you. Samara never runs, just calmly saunters up after an eclipsed mercenary who holds key information on Morin. Samara's establishing character moment is when we see her shove a stiletto boot straight into the Mercosari's equivalent of a trachea, all while murmuring, find peace in the embrace of the goddess. It's kind of badass. Samara reveals, both through dialogue and her actions, that the code requires disproportionate retribution. If someone gets in Samara's way when trying to pursue her target, they will be killed. Samara warns people of this, but it seems quite harsh that someone can go from being an innocent to being dead just by doing their job or in any way hampering her progress. She says the code demands these actions, but it's interesting that as far as we can tell, her only target has ever been her daughter. Can she truly be the dispassionate, unbiased hammer of justice she claims to be? I'm not sure. And it's interesting to me that her main target has eluded her for 400 years. If I only had one task, one goal, one focus, I don't think it would take that long. It may be that my human lifespan makes it difficult to think in time frames that vast, but I could also see it being Samara not really wanting to find Morinth. I think that's a good way to look at it, because if we look at it as Samara diligently and genuinely looking for Morinth for the whole 400 years, I kind of question her capability. <laughs> I'm like, are you really the best Justicar in the galaxy? Because... That's one target over the course of 400 years, and just this 30-year-old human comes into your life, and that's how you manage to get her? Kind of doesn't seem like you're the best, but I don't know. Like, <laughs> I want to give her the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. But speaking of the 30-year-old human, Samara ends up swearing an oath to Shepard, either Renegade or Paragon, to help stop the Collectors, as long as she can continue hunting Morinth afterwards. A Paragon Shepherd can truly befriend Samara, even romance her. 
but a renegade shepherd will leave Samara making comments about their tenuous treaty, alluding to her vague unease at allying with someone of questionable morals. Sometime after recruiting Samara and before fighting the collectors, Samara gets intel on where her long-lost daughter's ship went and where she is currently lurking and killing people. This is her loyalty mission. How important is this? Killing her has been my focus for 400 years. It is the most important thing in my life, and the reason I became a Justicar. Samara's loyalty mission is notable. It is one of only two loyalty missions that do not involve combat, the other one being Thane's. Thane and Samara are also foils to one another in a sense that, while they are remarkably similar, both being warrior monks, essentially, as very spiritual and extremely deadly, Thane and Samara are on opposite sides of the law. Samara is violently lawful, and Thane, as an assassin, is inherently operating illegally. They are also both recruited on Ilium and have complicated relationships with their children, to say the least. Samara's loyalty mission involves using Shepard as bait to lure Morinth out of a nightclub. It's one of the most interesting loyalty missions and also one of the most tragic. When you finally trap Morinth and Samara reveals herself, Shepard must choose who gets to walk away. Mother or daughter? Oof. For the purpose of this part of the episode, obviously Samara must live. In an intense but short battle... Samara puts an end to her daughter and her 400-year mission with one biotically enhanced punch. She then stands, eerily emotionless, before saying the following. I am ready to leave this place and get on with my life. Are you ready to go as well? Do you want to talk about what happened? Shepard, what do you think I will say? What can I say? I just killed the bravest and smartest of my daughters. There are no words. I will try another time. For now, show mercy on a broken old warrior and let us leave. Samara may not be able to form the words necessary to explain the emotions, but I can understand why. Just as she said, she couldn't let Morinth live, but didn't really want her dead either. It hurts so much to know that this was the only way. If I think too much on what it would mean to lose a daughter, I think it would be yet another episode of Tears. Understandably, Samara needs to meditate a lot after this mission. And when she does speak to you next, this is where she's at. Morinth haunted my dreams and waking hours equally. For the first time in 400 years, I am free. I am a ruined vessel of sorrow and regret, but I am free. It is not a feeling I can describe. I I won't pretend to know what any of that must be like. I mean, I think I've mentioned her before, but I have a daughter, and I can't imagine what it would be like to see her turn into a serial killer and hunt her down for any length of time, let alone 400 years. But I also don't know what it would be like to live as a pariah with this incurable genetic condition that would reduce my socially acceptable choices to life imprisonment or death. It's puzzling to me that Samara will constantly refer to the code as demanding Morinth's death, but she swore her life to the code after she fled. Would she have needed to kill Morinth if she had never become a Justicar? Who knows? 
As with all romanceable companions, the romance can only begin after securing their loyalty. But in Samara's case, you must play as a paragon shepherd. And while the code allows for romantic interests, Samara herself chooses to remain focused on the mission and untethered by any emotional pursuits. But she makes it clear that she is very interested in relationship with humans. No matter how much you express your desire to be with her, Samara will stand firm with her boundaries of not wanting to be in a relationship with Shepard, no matter how tempting. Either Femshep or Broshep can pursue this relationship, but this next clip is Femshep and Samara. After the loyalty mission and before the endgame mission, you can find Samara staring out into the great empty void as usual. This is the romance culmination scene. You have been a good friend to me. Samara, we have a connection. I would not have dreamed that one so young could touch me. But Shepard, you must put the thought from your mind. It can never be. Samara, it can be. You just have to open your mind. I serve a code stronger and deeper than any feelings. If we survive this mission, my oath to you ends. I will be bound by the code again. That makes a relationship impossible. You've kept tight control for a long time. But you still have needs, Samara. I have the strength to withstand my own drives, Shepard. You don't have to. The galaxy won't end if you find a little happiness. You're different from anyone I've met. I think I could find more than happiness with you. But my self-control is who I am. Don't pursue this, please. You've been strong through so much. Now it's your time. In another time, another life. There is no romance scene for me to break down at all. They do not have a culmination scene. They never even make it up to the commander's quarters. And I fully respect it. Samara knows that romantic entanglements on the eve of a critical mission can make one lose focus. They are not always the best thing for two people. It can cause distraction from being worried about your lover rather than dedication to the task. I could keep going. But as for a sexual relationship rating between Commander Shepard and Samara, it's a 1 out of 10. The one point is there because Samara is obviously physically attractive, and she admits to being physically attracted to Shepard, but nothing comes of it. And while it isn't my lifestyle choice, I respect the decision to remain celibate for the time being. We will touch on Samara a little bit more when we get to the Mass Effect 3, because you do have a Citadel DLC date and a mission fighting alongside her. One more time. Oh, that line, another time, another life, it just gets me. That's why I kind of like this. But as far as the romance goes, it's giving me Regency era vibes like Pride and Prejudice, Sense and Sensibility, etc. If you look at the whole arc across both Mass Effect 2 and 3 with the whole, I love you, oh, no, you can't bit. Like strictly for Mass Effect 2, though, it's just tension with no payoff whatsoever romantically or otherwise. I will not pretend to understand how a magical space witch of such advanced age can find Lowell Shepard romantically attractive, but the small interaction we played is the whole culmination of their romance, as we said. It doesn't come off weird or gross like it could, perhaps, though, given how much older Samara is. It feels genuine 
and oh-so-deliciously-doomed from the start. Love me some star-crossed lovers. And it's also the romance, the one romance, that really isn't one, because Samara isn't at a place where she wants to date, and that's okay. I'm sorry Shep had to fall for someone unavailable, but good on Samara for sticking to her boundaries. As she said, perhaps in another time, another life, they could have been together. But the galaxy's at stake here. No time for fornicating, I suppose. Or for love. At least not for this Asari. Overall, I give it a 5 out of 10. Okay. Yeah. I can see that. I think they genuinely feel affection, you know? I think they do feel affection. Yeah. And that's pretty apparent through, like, the, the fact that you have to break into her shell and everything like that just to get her to... Admit that, yeah, I like you, but we need to not be doing this right now. So, I agree. Mm Mm-hmm. But, okay. Before we get into Morinth, let's take a quick mid-break to listen to the sponsors of the show, thank our patrons, and go over some fun facts. Fun facts! I have a co-worker named Samara, and when I told her that I would be talking about the Asari Samara... First, she wanted to see pictures, and then that she might play the game just for the fact that she'd never heard her name in a video game before. And the two of them have two perfectly matching features. Also, in an unused Shadow Broker dossier entry, Bioware wrote that in her maiden years, Samara was on an Asari ship that crash-landed on Earth during the Elizabethan era, and was a muse to William Shakespeare, specifically sonnets 127, 130, and 141. It's not exactly canon, but nerdy sleuths can find these files hidden in ME2's DLC code. Another fun fact, the name Samara is a Hebrew name that means guard or guardian. Very fitting for this Samara. Knowing those sonnets, however, I think they sound a lot more like Morinth, but I suppose a young Samara would have been much like Morinth. Specifically, Sonnet 141, there's this little this quote I want to read. But my five wits nor my five senses can dissuade one foolish heart from serving thee, who leaves unswayed the likeness of a man, thy proud heart's slave and vassal wretch to be. Definitely sounds like falling for an Ardot Yakshi to me. Unfortunately, it's not much different from falling for Samara either. Just like Thane, tale of a star-crossed lover. And... We have a special review to read this week, as we are now on Audible and Amazon Music, where you can leave ratings and reviews. It really does get the word out so more people can find us. And Apollo has written our first review on Audible. The way the website looks makes it look like you're giving an individual episode review and not a review of the whole show. So we get to think back to when baby Jen and baby V were talking about Liara in November of 2021. Nigh on five months ago. (laughs) Almost just a few days from five months. Baby Um, us. So Apollo, (laughs) Um, if we were babies, we'd be almost ready to start solid food. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, I'm still on a liquid diet. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, Apollo writes, great first episode. Just a tremendous first episode for a podcast that promises to deep dive, oh, whoops, to dive deep into the world of video game romances. 
Genesis and Vervada have great chemistry together. This is definitely a must listen for anyone who enjoys the world of video game romances. Thank you, Apollo, for that review. And now it's time to thank the patrons. Toasty, Apollo, Meiji Moose, and Commander Shanko. Thank you for being amazeballs. We love you. And thank you to our newest patron, Yuri Cat. Loves. Okay. Oh, yeah. For those of you who may not know, Yuri Cat was a guest on our Caden Alenko episode. Uh, so well, that was also baby two girls, one ship. But that was a good time. You're always welcome back, Yuri Cat. Okay. Now that we've talked about Samara, it's time to discuss what happens if you save Morinth instead. What does a romance with an Ardot Yakshi look like? So let me paint the scene. Morinth and Samara are biotically locked, both trying to convince you that they are the one you should choose to save. Morinth says that she's the future of the Asari race, equally as powerful as her mother. Samara reminds you that she's already sworn an oath to aid you in the fight against the Collectors. We chose Samara before the break, but now we're choosing Morinth. Look into my eyes and tell me you want me. Tell me you'd kill for me. Anything I want. Shepard automatically earns Morinth's loyalty by choosing her over Samara, and she joins the Normandy crew. Choosing to dress in Samara's clothing and signature red facial accessories to make it look as though nothing changed on Omega. So creepy. <laughs> kind of psycho, honestly. But um, also, I think the rest of the crew would be like, you killed one of us? <laughs> Maybe that was for the best. I don't know. But uh, after the mission ends, but before the end game mission, you can speak with Morinth on the Normandy and she'll tell you that her sexual partners experienced pleasure far beyond that of a normal melding and tell Shepard that she wants to mate with them. Ooh. She goes so far as to suggest that because Shepard is so strong-willed, they will survive unlike any other mate has before. Unlike other romance companions, her culmination scene happens after the end game mission. If they both survive that mission, Shepard and Morinth can hit the big red button together. <laughs> well, I did ask for unique scenes, and I think this one takes the cake. In my opinion, Morinth has the darkest, sexiest female voice in Mass Effect 2. The way she gets into my head is better than Expel 10. The sexual tension that built up in the VIP section and that moved into her apartment is still there. I want to know what a mind melt with such a creature would be like. It would be like the frantic aggression renegade option with Jack, combined with the sensual mysticism of Liara. Shepard's mind was strong enough to survive the Prothean beacon, the cipher from Shiala, multiple melds with Liara, and on a possible third Asari if you asked for more from Shiara. And straight up coming back from the dead? Show me, Morinth. Show me the pleasure beyond my wildest dreams. But I want you to know something. My lovers spent their last moments experiencing pleasure you can't imagine. Like Neff. She died because her nervous system overloaded with an ecstasy so great she couldn't handle it. Why tell me this? 
I want to give you that, Shepard. I want you to feel every nerve in your body pulsing with pleasure. My mission is too important to risk that, Morant. But you're different. I sensed it when we first met. You have the Prothean cipher in your head. You died and came back. There's no one like you. You and I can share something so intense, so deep, it will change your life. Morinth, I can't deny how much I want you. Do you really mean it? You'll be with me? I will. Come here, Shepard. Embrace eternity. is a no-go. You can't survive. There's no way to mind meld with one of the most powerful Ardok Yakshis alive. Hope you saved before you entered her room. So, what happens next? While trying to reconnect in Mass Effect 3, Morinth has undergone some physical changes that make any form of a relationship irrevocably impossible. Yeah, spoiler alert, she gets turned into a banshee in Mass Effect 3, which is also the name of an Irish mythological spirit called a banshee, with she meaning fairies, and also refers to the mounds they live under, like a barrow mound. Ban means woman in Irish Gaelic, and banshee is a female spirit that foretells a death by wailing or keening. You may already know this if you, like me, grew up in an Irish Catholic home and was scarred for life watching Darby O'Gill and the Little People as a child. If you know, you know. Obviously, there is no romance to this, only a serial killer addicted to the high of the hunt. In fact, Morinth may have been based on the infamous Countess Elizabeth Bathory, a Hungarian noblewoman who was accused of torturing and murdering hundreds of girls and women between 1590 and 1610. I say accused because we'll never know for certain but there were over 300 witnesses who claimed the Countess had done those things, so, you know, she probably did. Or maybe everyone hated her. I kind of feel bad for Morinth, though. Like, I hadn't listened to that clip until right now. And listening to it, it kind of feels like, for a second there at the end, she was truly hopeful that maybe one person actually would survive. I imagine it's a very lonely life as an Ardot Yakshi. Which kind of makes me conflicted about the whole Morinth and Samara thing. I don't even think there's a preferred outcome here either. It's easy to say, oh, Morinth is a sex-crazed serial killer, choose Samara. But Samara has arguably killed just as many, if not more, people in her hunt for Morinth due to her code. History has a lot of bad people in it that, at their time, they killed because their rules demanded it too. Whose rules are right? When Samara leaves Asari space, does her code supersede Alliance military or the customs of the Salarians, etc.? Is she truly the face of justice when her entire pursuit has been her daughter? Which is as biased as it gets. If you play Paragon, you might as well save Samara, but Renegade? Both Morinth and Samara want to kill you, but at least you'll be happy as you die with Morinth. What do you think, Jen? Hmm. So it's a little bit different, because as for me personally... I'm only interested in people who are interested in me. I don't want to pursue someone who isn't available emotionally or physically. So as soon as Samara puts the brakes on, then full stop on my part too. But as for my shepherd, 
I still pick Samara to survive for the galactic readiness points that she provides that Morinth can't. I've never tried for the Samara romance, so I don't even know if my renegade score usually gets too high for her to want me. I, I just don't know. But that you're right. The way that she says the ending part of that line where she's like, are you sure? Morinth is nervous and or she's a really damn good actress and is playing it off that way. That might be true, too. I mean, she's had a lot of time to practice. And according to the lore, like they kind I'm not sure if this is in the lore, but when they I read some art about when they were designing the art at Yakshi, they kind of based it on vampires. Like they, they got some energy from their mates after they died or while they were melding. And mm-hmm. I, you know, if she's done it for a long time. She's obviously super powerful and addicted to that feeling as Samara said, but it's just a whole, <laughs> I don't know. I don't get it. I wouldn't ever want to kill my kid no matter what. I don't, it's just weird. Yeah. I can't relate. I feel bad for both of them. It is really difficult to try and figure out their relationship. But that, my lovely little shipsters, is where we would usually end the show. But tonight we have a special treat. Our guest couldn't join the live stream, so instead wrote us in her thoughts and feelings about Samara. Title of the paper, Why Samara is the Best Romance Option. It's not just the tits by Beludru. I will say that we're not reading the entire essay because that would have probably been a whole episode in and of itself. So we're reading excerpts. (laughs) It was a very awesome essay. Thank you. Okay, quote. I got ninjamanced by Liara in my first playthrough. I think I found her after Neveria, so I had already seen, drooled over, and killed her mum. I had my first taste of blue from the consort and was disappointed when there was no way to do the same with Shiala as I thought. She was the prettiest, coolest alien there was. I think she has the same face model as Falir. Sadly for me and my shepherd, the only one who was interested was the least interesting to me back then. I adore Liara now, but my first playthrough was all about Benezia's tits and Shiala. I was not expecting that romance scene between Liara and Shepard, especially from such an old game. Shepard had slept with two of them, so I guess I was destined to be an Asari mancer. And so I got to the holy grail of Mass Effect 2. So many hot women! Was instantly in love with Arya. And girl, same. Um, But could see that that was never going to happen. And when I was going to try my luck with Miranda, then it finally got to that point. Dossier the Justicar. Saw Shiala again. Thought I was going to get lucky when she was all sweet and touching Shepard. But of course not. So I took a cab to some place on Ilium, and there's a cutscene with the detective and Pitney Four, and the music. It was so different to anything else in the game. It added to the mystique of whoever this scary Justicar may be. Then it happened. Killed some mercs, and the music changes to this beautiful, fast Eastern vibe, while still sounding mystical and amazing. And then the camera pans from red boots, slowly all the way up to the most beautiful tits, then face I have ever seen. I was done. (laughs) The essay goes on into greater detail of specific reasons why Baludru loves Samara so much. Spoiler, it's mainly the boobs and the voice. 
But there is one part I wanted to highlight because I think it's a worthy discussion point about the difference in romancing Samara as Femshep versus Broshep. Belodra writes, I should probably point out that I tried this scene with Male Shepherd 2 and I hated it. I don't know if it's his tone or posture, but it felt really off to me. Here's this big bulky guy invading her space when she says no, almost forcing her into a corner before she leaves the room. It felt aggressive in a way Femshep didn't. Maybe I'm biased, but it's never felt like Femshep was ever being forceful towards her to me. Where a male shepherd seems to monotonously bark at her, Jennifer Hale does her low, sultry voice. It's more authentic, gentler, you know? End quote. Thoughts, Jen? Mm. So I watched both of these scenes to see if I could feel the difference. And yeah, a little bit. Because he is more physically, he's bigger than Samara. He's taller than her. And so when somebody who is physically more imposing than you is walking you backwards towards a wall, you feel it differently. But I also have a lot of personal bias towards six foot tall military men with low rumbly voices. So I don't mind the bro at all. Another part of Bella Drew's essay brought up something that I really do like, and that is, but also I love that there is a romance for Samara, that it is different from any other. Everyone else, you'd be nice to them a few times, and then it's sexy time. Samara's not like that, and to me, it's the most genuine romance. Shepard is the first person, the only person she can open up to. And that's so special and precious to me. Isn't that what real love is about? What it's like? Then you have someone you can drop the walls with and share a piece of yourself with them in an emotional way. If you're willing to wait, put in the effort, you'll get the most beautiful woman in the galaxy to give you a kiss and a hug at the end of the universe. That to me is so worth it. Do you think it's worth it? No, because I'm a horny pervert. And so if I'm not getting laid, I ain't happy. No. <laughs> no. Um, I, yeah. I can appreciate where they're coming from. And like, I can see the positive points that they brought up. But for me, it's like, it's a cute romance, but it's not exactly a romance either. Like it's, it could have been, it's more like, it's kind of like how LaCroix or LaCroix, how do you say that stupid water? Mm -hmm. It's like strawberry flavored, but it's more like vapors of strawberry. It's kind of like a vapor of a romance, you know, like they could have, but they didn't. It, yeah. It's like the someone you flirt with and you start to talk to and then they ghost you and they never talk to you again. And you're like, well, it's the one that got away, I guess. Like, and also the vast age difference and stuff. It's maybe they're just not compatible and that's okay. I think it's nice because it's a genuine representation of like when you know, two people meet and it just didn't work out, but like there's attraction, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're compatible. It could just be pheromones. I don't know what sorry have, but like, you know, for humans, like mm -hmm. maybe you have good pheromones mixing together, but you're not actually relationship material. So I don't know. I, I want, I want more. So I wouldn't choose Samara personally, but I think it makes sense what they did with her. Like I couldn't see her actually having a relationship with Shepard. Yeah. So it makes sense the way they did it. And I do like the fact that having a non-sexual relationship is in the game. Like, that is really important. I mean, it's obviously not my my choice, but it is 
sometimes very important for people to see that represented in video games. So the fact that there is a romance option that you can have, you get the sexy music, you get the romance culmination music. So it's, it is a Mass Effect romance. So I appreciate that. She's just not, I mean, physically, physically, I would pick Samara. (laughs) I think. Yeah, she's perfect. Yeah. And the voice is awesome. I mean, I mean, the same goes for Morinth, too. I really cannot pick if I like Samara's voice or Morinth's better. They're both really, really good. I wonder if people's attraction to Samara, those of us Mass Effect nerds who choose romance options, I wonder if the people who love Samara love her because she's unavailable. You know how like that'll just add a little bit of Mm. attractiveness? (laughs) Oh, I can't have her? Well, that makes me want her more. I mean, she is just, like you said, a good representation. She's had a full life, too. She had a mate before. Mm-hmm. And in the, the Shadow Broker dossier part that did make it into the game for her, show like her personal possessions that she turned in when she became a Justicar. And they were like a statue of her and her mate, a picture of her and her mate, like a video of her and her mate for their anniversary, like all these things about her family. So you could really tell like how important her family was to her. And so maybe she's just, you know, 400 years isn't enough time. We don't ever know what happens to her mate, like where they went. But yeah, she's at the end of the game. If she lives, she has one daughter left out of three. It's sad. So she's lonely, but I guess not everyone who's lonely needs someone, you know? Yeah. She's had someone. She has. It also really reminds me that I need to go back and read the Shadow Broker dossiers. Like... I can tell you everything that Miranda's dossier says, and I can tell you about Garrus's and some of Jack's, but I don't really remember anybody else's. I just read hers today, that's why. That's the only reason. I do remember Garrus's, but that's about it. (laughs) Well, yeah. I don't know. Because it's Garrus. It's kind of, this is like the, I was telling you this before we started recording, but like, this is kind of the first time where I went into the episode liking the characters less than I did before in a way. Like, I don't, not mainly Samara. Before we did this episode, I was like, Morinth bad, Samara good. But now it's like, no, actually, <laughs> now that I've thought about this critically, it's way more complicated than that. I actually like Samara less because. Like, I don't know what the answer to the question is that I asked. Did she really have to kill Morin? I don't know. She felt like she had to, but that whole thing, she she wasn't a part of the code. She wasn't a Justicar before Morin ran away. So I, I really don't. Do we know the timeline of when uh, Samara became a Justicar? All I know is that everything I read on the wiki and like my research and what she says in the game... Morinth ran away. We know she was 40 when she ran away. And Samara immediately, like, gave up all her stuff and went and swore herself to the Justicar Code because Morinth ran away. Like, that is canon. I'm not sure exactly how long it takes to, like, become a Justicar, but Mm -hmm. it was immediately because Morinth ran away. And Morinth, I feel really bad for. (laughs) Like, it's not, none of that's her fault. And she's kind of a little bit to be admired in a way, like obviously not killing people is bad, but like this is Mass Effect, the game of serial killers. Everyone has killed multiple people. Mm -hmm. I think Shepard's number one, like the most (laughs) killed the number one most amount of people. But Morinth, like society says, this is the only acceptable path for you. And she's like, no, I'm going to forge my own. So that's kind of cool of her. I like that about her. 
And like I said before, she sounds super lonely. So that made me feel a little bit of pity. The whole thing is kind of sad. Maybe I will pick Morinth on this run. Just to do it. New experiences, right? Renegade run. Morinth. But I'm not going to have sex. (laughs) Well, I might. Just to say that I've just to say that I've done it. Is there an achievement for that? I'm not sure. Probably not, but it's a personal achievement. All right. I think we're good for tonight, Lee. What do you think? Yeah, sorry I got a bit rambly there, but I don't know, just this one made me think a bit. I thought this was gonna be like super quick, done and dusted, like 20 30 minute episode because there was there's not really a romance but then surprise (laughs) there's way more to say you're like should we add all of our liara stuff to this episode too and make it a true nasari episode and i was like yeah i think there's no because i have a lot to say about mass effect 2 liara who buddy is she a little bit on the jealous side i don't like where they took her into very much but we'll get there Maybe I will end up liking it. (laughs) We'll see. I don't know how I feel about anybody now. Right? It's all up in the air. All of our preconceived Mm -hmm. notions are thrown out the window. Yeah. Yeah, don't assume, guys. You know what that makes you. (laughs) An (laughs) asshole. (laughs) Oh. But if you like what you're hearing, please be sure to leave a review on iTunes or on Amazon. Or give us a rating on Spotify and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find me in our Two Girls One Ship chat on the Robots Radio Discord channel. And come give us a follow on all the social medias and on Patreon at Two Girls One Ship. Links to those are in the description. I'm on the Robots Radio Discord as well. And also be sure to check out our live stream on Twitch and YouTube on Fridays at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 7.30 p.m. Pacific Time. And we have some extra reach now. We started our own Two Girls One Ship Discord where we can dive deep into individual characters and talk about more than just the games we covered so far. Our podcast episodes release on Mondays because you always need at least one good thing on a Monday. Check out the description for all links if you're interested. Announcement for our listeners before we go. Look out for an extra exciting episode featuring an interview with a very chill person, current game writer, and convention speaker, coming out on April 11th. Thanks for listening, and remember... Beauty is in the eye of the controller. Hi, I'm Aaron. And I'm Ariel. And we're the hosts of the Legend of Zelda Lorecast, a podcast about all things Legend of Zelda, from Errol to Zora, and all the fun things in between. If you're ready to dive deep and learn more about the Legend of Zelda lore and everything surrounding it, come join us on the Legend of Zelda Lorecast. You can find us on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Google, or wherever else you get your podcasts. We hope to see you soon. <laughs>